Good evening, Lillian. Hi, this is Irene Watson. I'm the managing editor of Reader Views. Hi, I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. We're speaking to you today live from Ann Arbor, Michigan, and Austin, Texas, over the InternetVoicesRadio.com network. You can hear us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on this station. Today's topic is the life cycle of publishing a book from start to finish. And our special guest who will be joining us this hour is Elizabeth Burton of Zumaya Publications. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. If you want to participate in today's show, you can instant message us at info at authorsaccess.com with your questions or comments, and we'll read them over the air. Before we get started this evening, I would like to remind all our listeners that Reader Views and Loving Healing Press are sponsoring a short story writing contest. Send us your true story of a transformational event in your life, and it could appear on our upcoming anthology of stories. It must be a true story about the most important self-discovery that you or a family member has had, or some event or decision that caused your viewpoint to shift for the rest of your life. Specifically, we're looking for a 1,000 to 3,000 word essay. For more details, go to www.lovinghealing.com and click on Writing Contest. All right, let's talk a bit about our guest. Elizabeth Burton decided she wanted to be a writer one night after she scared her friends with a made-up, on-the-spot horror tale that left them with goosebumps. Forty years later, she finally made it when her first novel, The Fantasy Dreams of Darkness, was published. While she's waiting to get on the bestseller list, she decided to make a little spending money editing books, which eventually led her to becoming the editor-in-chief at Zumaya Publications, a small Canadian press in 2005. She is currently a partner in the company and now living in Austin, Texas. Elizabeth calls it the Total Immersion School of Publishing. I just love that. And now we're going to go to this week's special guest, Elizabeth Burton. Hello, Elizabeth, and welcome Hi, to Victor. Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Well, I'm just so proud to be here, to quote Minnie Pearl. <laughs> so what can I talk, tell you tonight? Well, gosh, Elizabeth, let's uh, hear from you exactly the step-by-step process it takes from the minutes the thought happens to the time that the book is out on the shelf. Well, I think my predecessors have covered that first part pretty well. I was really impressed by how detailed they were about explaining the process of getting an actual book made. However, once you get to where I am, which is approaching the publisher, the first thing any writer needs to do is stop and think a moment whether they really, really, really want to do this. And there's a reason why. These days, there is so much competition in the publishing business and for authors that they are going to have to commit a good deal of their time and energy to promoting themselves and their books. If they are not comfortable dealing with people, if they're not comfortable going out in public and talking to people and pushing their book and talking about their book, then they need to start having some second thoughts because 
if without that, if they're an unknown writer, they aren't going to get very far with that book. It's just not possible to sell a lot of books unless you're willing to go out and, well, sell a lot of books. So basically what I'm hearing, Elizabeth, is you have to be a salesperson and a promoter. Yes, you do. And, you know, um, that's really difficult. It's really difficult for some people because... A lot of us are not salespersons. A lot of us are, have a really hard time promoting ourselves. So do you have any wisdom on how we can actually change that paradigm? Well, I'll be honest. I'm not very good at promoting my books either. I can promote everybody else's, but not mine. The minute I have to promote mine, I clam up. But the only way to become comfortable being with people is to practice like anything else. Toastmasters is an excellent resource for people who have difficulty with public speaking or with working with strangers. They have uh, guidelines and they have information that is absolutely profound when it comes to dealing with the public and public speaking. The other part is to just be proud of what you've done. You've written a book. That's not something that everybody can do and it's not easy. If your book has you've gotten so far as getting your book published, that's even more worth being proud of because that doesn't happen very often either. The number of people in this country who claim that they believe they have a book in them comprises 80% of the population. That's what, 180 million people? One million of them actually manage to sit down every year and write a book. So considering that only 10% of that number of books actually get published every year, I think it's safe to say that you have a right to be proud of what you do and you shouldn't be embarrassed to go out and tell people what an accomplishment is. Great, Joe. That's an interesting uh, spin on the numbers. I've never heard it put exactly that way, but it's crystal clear the way that you put it. Uh, I'll just tell one question. You know, suppose I'm a person, you know, I've got my full-time job, I've got my family, I've got a lot of commitments, and I only have time for one thing in promotion, what's the single biggest uh, thing I can do for promotion? Should I, you know, go out and try and book uh, book signings everywhere, or should I start a blog, or should I be a podcaster? You know, if I've just got room for one thing, what, what would it be? Welcome to the Internet, Victor. <laughs> the best thing you can do is to get out on the Internet and introduce yourself to those people who are most likely to be interested in your book doesn't matter what the subject matter is, doesn't matter if it's fiction or nonfiction. If you can find discussion groups, open blogs where you're allowed to comment, mail Yahoo lists and, and other similar groups, but they're starting some on Google now. These are all places where you can find people of like mind or people who are likely to be interested in your book. Sign up, join in the discussions, which has two advantages because first it gets you used to the idea of talking to strangers without having to confront them but it also gets your name well known and this is where most beginning writers don't quite get it nobody's going to buy a book by an unknown author but if you can get your name out in public often enough it doesn't matter if you never talk about your book if all you have, do is have the title of that book and a link to where people can buy it in your signature line 
on mailing lists and discussion forums and such like things, then people will eventually click on that link and go to take a look at your book because they know who you are. You have it's, you don't sell a book. You sell the author. And this, this goes for just about anything, even whether you're a publisher or whether, like Irene, you do book publicity. And I'm sure Irene knows this. You don't sell the book. You sell the author. Boy, do I know that. And you know that is so, so true that it's really the author has to have the platform. They have to be an expert in something. And, you know, a lot of us just don't like to hear that because it's hard to be out in the public. Now, Elizabeth, you as a publisher, what is it that you are looking for in the manuscript? Professional presentation. It all ah, comes down and what does that mean? It means do not send me your first draft. I'm happy that you just completed your book. Now put it away and go do something else and come back in six weeks and do some editing. Grammar, punctuation, all the things that, the mechanical things that you might not think are important because, gee, this is the, the greatest novel since uh, Gone with the Wind. Well, I'm sorry, but yes, they are. So is how you format your book, which brings me to read the publisher's guidelines. Publishers write guidelines for a reason. They're meant to ensure that they can deal with what usually amounts to an awful lot of submissions in an efficient manner. In other words, that means they have more time to spend considering your manuscript instead of getting it ready to be considered. I see. I have so many aspiring authors who send me manuscripts that it's so clear that they have not bothered to go to my website and read my guidelines because I have very good guidelines. I put down all the nuts and bolts. This is how I want it. This is what I want. This, you know, And it's not rocket science. It's read the directions. Send me what I ask for. They've got the, now that I have had, sometimes I still have to repeat myself two or three times. The other thing I request is that you look at the books I've already published. See what it is I'm looking, I've already accepted. Because if your book is so far away off of what I already have, that it's totally different, the chances are I'm not going to want it. It's not because it's not a good book. It's because small publishers like Zumaya are looking for specific books to fit into niches that they have established. It's the only way that they can effectively market. For instance, one of our niches is science fiction and fantasy, more mystery stories. I have two writers, from, both from Canada, as it, turns out, as it happens, who do this kind of work, and they do it well, and it's good, well received. So I'm always open for any kind of science fiction mystery, science fiction police, procedural science fiction fantasy, Noir mystery. If you look at my my website, you'll see that. The same way with women's fiction. I don't want chiclet. I don't do chiclet. I do women's fiction, liter mainstream literary fiction, with themes that are of interest to women. And there's, that's different from chiclet. I say over and over and over again. I don't do children's picture books. I don't do poetry. I don't do memoirs that are collections of essays. I don't do collections of newspaper columns. 
And yet, would you like to know how many of those I get on any given month? <laughs> Read the guidelines, people. They're there for a reason. And you will not make your the acquiring editor happy if you ignore them. Elizabeth, I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, I have the unfortunate uh, position of being in a niche called uh, New Age, which means people will pitch me just about anything. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about actually, the editorial process for a second. Um, suppose I actually have read the guidelines and sent in my manuscript. Uh, march us along the next set of steps, and how does the interaction work between yourself and the author? I have two accounts set up, email accounts. We, uh, we accept only electronic submissions. I have one account that, that's where the link is on the guidelines, and that's where people are to send their query. If I like what's in the query, I will tell them to send me a sample and give, the, and give them the instructions on how to do that. And that goes to a different account. I then download it and log it in and, and go through all kinds of virtual paperwork to ensure that I know who's done what and when it's come in and, and how long I've had it. I have a couple of advanced readers who are willing to go over and weed out the ones that didn't follow the rules about the good grammar and punctuation and, and spelling. So that alone tells you that I want to make sure I've got a nice, clean manuscript when I send it. But the main thing is, once you have sent me your sample, take a deep breath, go do something else, get a hobby, you know. I tell everyone who sends me a sample, it's going to be at least three to six months before you hear from me. The, up, the emphasis is on at least. Like most working editors, I get to read submissions when I don't have anything else to do. And there's not a lot of time that that occurs. And so it can take a very long time for me to get to a manuscript. Nagging me every two weeks as to whether or not I've had a chance to look at your manuscript is, first of all, kind of annoying. I'm sorry, it is. But second of all, I told you how long it's going to be. That's not going to change. I'm not going to suddenly have decided, oh, there's John Smith's manuscript. I think I will grab that one and read it right this minute. Not going to happen, people. The thing is, we agreed to accept simultaneous submissions. And this work comes into this at this point because we, I don't, I don't pay, really pay anybody cash to read my submissions. Some, some publish it, publishers do. When they do, they are not going to be happy if having paid someone to read your manuscript, gone through all the trouble of deciding, yes, I think we'd really like to have this, they send you an email and you tell them, oh, well, actually, I signed it with somebody else last week. This is why publishers don't like simultaneous submissions. So use them at your peril. You will hear authors say, well, I hate having to wait a year or two, or however long it takes. Well, too bad. <laughs> I know that sounds harsh, but it's the fact. It can take that long for an editor to have the time to get to your manuscript. If you want to send it to other publishers in the meantime, that's fine. But remember, even if you contact the, o the other publishers when you find the book, they may still put you on their do not read list because they may have already spent the time and or money to 
who read it. And they that's money that's time wasted that they could have spent on someone else's manuscript. It's that simple. That's uh, that's a really good point, Elizabeth. I um I don't think that a lot of writers think about that because they just probably take the um manuscript and send it to as many publishers they can possibly find that uh publish in their genre. Um, well, I understand it. You know, I'm sure. I'm, they uh, they have one book. They have to stop and think that we have thousands, literally. Right. And they, uh, they, so this is are the only book in their queue. I have right now, as we speak, 117 just since the middle of July, and these are the ones that I ask for. That doesn't count the 40 odd that are now sitting in my submissions queue, waiting waiting for me to decide which ones of those I want. Those are um, that's a large number, and that's good to hear that you know there is a lot of competition. Like you had mentioned earlier in your talk, there is a lot of competition, and therefore it's so important to read the guidelines. Now, let's say that you have received the manuscript, you've read it, you feel that this is something that you would publish, and you create a contract. Tell us about the contract. What's all in it? What's the most important thing? What should the author be looking at? What is it that you really want in the contract? I would always recommend that any writer somehow come up with the funds to show their contract to a knowledgeable agent or intellectual property attorney before they sign anything. Now, our particular contract happens to be very writer-friendly, in part because the three of us who are Zubaya and are the uh, former erotica imprint ecstasy books are ourselves writers and so we want to be as fair to other writers as we can be such is not the case with some publishers and it is it's just not possible for someone who is not very knowledgeable about the publishing industry to really understand what is in a publishing contract without some kind of help so Yes, it's probably going to cost you $250 or whatever, but please, for your own sake, get that contract checked. Now, that said, once you have a, a contract offer, if you don't already have an agent, you might be able to wangle one because you have that contract. So it's worth your time to have prepared a list of agents who are suitable for your particular book and contact them with the information that so-and-so has offered me a publishing contract. I'd really like to have someone representing me in the negotiations. Would you be interested in doing so? So this is Very another... often people have gotten agents that way. So you're mentioning an agent for the purpose of looking at the contracting representing the author in that respect, whereas many times writers look for agents to find a publisher. So this is using an, possibly you know, the same agent or a different agent for two different purposes. Exactly. A friend of mine self-published a, her thriller novel, and she, she happened to have the wherewithal that she could do a maximum amount of promotion with it. She could not, prior to having self-published it, get an agent to give her the time of day or any, any publishers that she, she uh, cold sent it to. However, once the book had been printed and published, 
she it just so happened she was lucky enough that her brother knew Alfred Woodard and managed to get them to meet. And Ms. Woodard was interested enough in the book to put a film to a film offer on it. Once my friend had that in place, she was able to get not just any agent, but one of the biggest agents in New York City. Because she had, A, the book, which had a proven sales record, excellent reviews in the main major uh, review organs, uh, book list gave it a starred review, and she had a film option on it. So these were all things, and he was, his job at that point was to help negotiate the film, the film option. She, need, she knew she needed someone who had more knowledge than she did to do that for her. So, it is possible to get an agent. Now, of course, with agents, as with anything else, you need to be careful. There are a lot, just, there are a lot of people calling themselves editors these days who aren't. There's always been a school of people who consider writers a very lucrative way of financing their latest trip to Europe. So, you need to be very, very careful. You need to ask for references. You need to check with the Association of Artist Representatives to make sure that and see if, if this person is listed. You need to check with places like creditors and editors and writers beware to see if they're listed there. You know, in, in the process of not wanting to be ripped off by a publisher, don't get ripped off by an agent. That sounds like very good advice, Elizabeth. I just want to mention that uh, you're listening to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. If you're just tuning in and may have missed the first part of the show, be sure to visit our website, authorsaccess.com, where you can find podcasts of all of our shows. If you have a brief question, please email us at info at authorsaccess.com, and we'll put your question on the air. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. Elizabeth, now you have, once the uh, manuscript is accepted, you have a contract signed, what is your next step as a publisher? The next step, in my case, is that I put the book, the manuscript, in the editing queue after deciding when it's going to be published. And the, uh, the next step after that, of course, is when it comes as the date for publication approaches, I will begin editing the manuscript. At a larger house, you may be assi- you will probably be assigned an editor immediately. In fact, you will probably work with whatever editor it was that acquired your book. The editor is not your enemy. The ed- editor is there to ensure that your book is the best that it can possibly be. They have many years of experience in both writing and editing and marketing books. They know what sells. They know what readers look for, and they know their business. So while you are certainly well within your rights to stand up for something that you feel is a too drastic change in your manuscript, at least do so while listening to see if maybe they have a point. All too often, I have to clash heads with writers who think that they have written the perfect novel, which, like the perfect anything, simply doesn't exist, or who mistake uh, style qualities for their author voice and will argue to the death over something that is just wrong. 
dangling, uh, you know, dangling participles for poor continuity or bad pacing. Like, this is my author voice. No, that's a mistake. So, you know, it's okay to stand up for yourself if you think you're right and the editor's wrong. Editors are human. They make mistakes. But at least take a moment, pause after you've had that initial, no, I don't want to do that, and think about it. Think about what the editor is telling you. If you then still believe that you're right and that what they're asking is going to drastically change your book from what you, from your vision of what it is to something entirely different, then you're, you're well within your right to object and stick by your objection. Once the editing job is done, then there are things like cover art, uh, layout and design. These are all technical things that most of the writers won't be involved in unless they're with a small press like Zumaya. We try to keep the authors involved at most levels. Uh, there will be, if you're with a major house that has a marketing department, you may have at least one phone call from a publicist from that department to discuss your book and, and what uh, publicity options are available. You should, be ha you should have your own marketing plan, by the way, in place before this particular moment arrives because if you have one, you're going to get brownie points. Trust me. Most of the money in, in the publishing game, for reason known only to them, goes to the people who don't need it. However, an author who has a really solid marketing plan when they're talking to their publicist and shows that they are willing to commit their own time, energy, and, yes, funds to the process is likely to at least be able to manage to garner some matching funds from the publisher. And that's a big plus. That doubles your that doubles your money. So you've got you've been through the editing, you've been through the copy editing, you proved your galley, it's gone off to the printer. Hopefully you've been working on this next book all this time. And within a given period of time, and it varies depending on, on how the printing is being done, you'll have a book. And believe me, I've had, I've had three books published. I know people who have had twice that many published, and we all say the same thing. It doesn't matter how often it happens. The first time you open that box and you hold that book in your hand, there's just no thrill to beat it. It is wonderful. <coughs> Well, yes, it certainly is. It, um, it, you know, it's just such a sense of accomplishment. It is. Mm -hmm. not, it, it's like you're an author, you know. Before you were a writer, now you are an author. And that's special. That's a special thing. That means a lot of people had a lot of faith in you and a lot of, a lot of faith in what you created to be willing to invest their time and energy and money into making this object and they have faith enough that they are going to sell enough to make back that investment. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, we love our authors at Zumaya, and we hope they like us. We try it. It's even not a trouble. But even, I, as, to me, there's still a thrill when I can tell someone, it looks done, because, I don't know, maybe, maybe I, I'm just empathetic or something, but I can almost feel that thrill that they get when they hear that or when they read it in their email. And there's just nothing like it. Nothing. Well, it's certainly like birthing a baby, you know, because you've just worked at it right from the beginning and manifested, you know, from an idea, and then all of a sudden this, this 
thing appears called a book that you can actually hold it and touch it and feel it and touch your cover and the smoothness and you you know the it's just there. Oh, the paper. <laughs> the paper, exactly. And it smells. You know, you open that box and the smell of that ink. <laughs> yes. It's yes. real. It, it, it really it is. It has become a reality. What started yes. out as a single thought in your head has become a physic, solid physical reality that you can now share with other people. And isn't that what writing really is all about? Sharing what's in your head with other people? so that they can enjoy the visions that you've seen and the thoughts that you've had. Exactly. It sure is. So, okay, Elizabeth, here comes the box of books. You as a publisher, what about distribution? Tell me about the distribution that a publisher does. Well, it depends on the publisher. However, the distribution system as it stands, the traditional distribution system, is that there are two comp- kinds of companies that, dis- that see that books get from the publisher to the bookseller. The w- one is wholesalers, which would include companies like Ingram and Baker and Taylor. The other are distributors. The difference between wholesalers and distributors is that distributors actually sell the books that they represent. Now, most of the big publishers have their own salespeople. And so they simply go with, they send ship to the wholesalers, the, the wholesalers deliver to the booksellers. However, smaller presses are usually better off if they can get a dis- good distributor interested in their books who is then willing to go out and send their salespeople to sell the books to the bookstores or the other vendors. The problem with using a distributor is that they do require a fairly hefty discount off the cover price because in addition to the four standard 40% discount that they will be offering to bookstores, they want another 15 to 20% for their own, to pay their own cost, which is obviously fair. However, if you as a small press are using digital printing, which is sometimes known as print-on-demand printing, your per-copy cover cost the per copy cost, wholesale cost, is probably going to be too high for you to give the kind of discount that a distributor wants. This is why most people who are using print-on-demand and doing it independently as opposed to signing on with one of these subsidy publishers like iUniverse is that they are having their books printed by Lightning Source, which is a subsidiary of Ingram, the major wholesaler. Lightning Source is the only way to get print-on-demand books listed with Ingram. So they do a bulk, the bulk of the business for those publishers and those self-publishing authors who want to get their books listed in Ingram so that the bookstores won't complain. Books, you will hear it said that bookstores won't stock POD books. That's not true. We've placed books in several bookstores. What they don't like is having to order from the publisher. They like being able to send the order in to Ingram and or Baker and Taylor so that if they want to order two copies of, say, Dreams of Darkness, they can add that in with a whole bunch of other books and get them all shipped in one bunch. That's understandable. That saves them money. 
is actually an advantage. By having print-on-demand books that are listed with the major distributors so the bookstores can order them, you can send people into the store. They may not find a book on the shelf, but they can go to the counter and order it. And yeah, that's I really totally agree with you on that, that point, Elizabeth. I, I explain that to a lot of people. Uh, what is your experience in regards to returns from bookstores, and how does that affect the bottom line? I tell my I do not officially accept returns. I don't think it should be necessary. If you can, with the sh when with short one printing, printing being able to print anywhere from one to almost a thousand copies, there's no reason for bookstores to overorder just to make sure that they don't run out of copies when they can reorder and have those copies in their hands within a week. So for a bookstore to order 50 copies and then send back 49 to me is just ridiculous. Unofficially, I tell my authors that when they are talking to bookstores, that they can tell them, yes, if they really, really, really want to return the book, I personally will take them back. I do not want them sent back to, to the distributor. It's too expensive. But I will take them back and send them a refund. So returns, I think, are killing the publishing industry, if you want, want me to be blunt about it. And I think everybody in the publishing industry knows that. I just think that if the system has become so ingrained, and it is such an advantage to the bookstores for obvious reasons, that changing it is going to be a long, hard haul. But I do think that as if the industry is going to be saved, it's going to have to change, at least for small presses. Maybe the big guys can afford it. We small presses can't. Elizabeth, as the small press, what constitutes the bestseller in your view? Well, actually, it would be about the same as it would be for almost any small. Most small presses figure if they can, if a book sells a thousand to fifteen hundred copies a year, that's a real bestseller. Because uh, you know, it's it, it, what most of us work with. As I say, first-time authors, with first books, people who aren't well known, and so if you have if you have a book that sells that many copies, then by golly, you've got an author that's out there working their little buns off. <laughs> So you're saying a thousand to fifteen hundred per year? Yeah, that that would be my definition of a bestseller. Okay, and what so, uh, so far our our best-selling book has done about half that, but uh -huh. we are now we oh, we are starting to send some of our better-selling titles to Lightning Source so we can get the England connection, and we're hoping that that will encourage more bookstores to look at them, which in turn we hope will increase our sales for those books at least. What's the shelf life of a book? In the bookstores? About General. When does the book get old? The, well, it, it depends, but the average, as I understand it, is three to six is, is up to is about three months. Three months. If you're lucky. Uh -huh. If you're lucky. So it, uh, sometimes it, it does, they don't even last six weeks. It just depends on on how well they sell. So basically, what I'm hearing you say is there has to be a lot of footwork done before the book is actually published. Oh, yeah. It was created. And so that in that three to six months, that's when everybody needs to buy the book because they've already anticipated that this book is going to come out. Is this correct? Sure. Most bookstores book have very limited shelf space. Mm -hmm. They are not going to tie up that limited shelf space with a book that's not moving. If you can get, 
even, even with some stores, even just selling one copy a month is enough to keep it on the shelf. But if it sits there for six weeks and the new Harry Potter comes out, you can just you can you can assume that your book is going to get sent back. That could be very discouraging. Yes, it could, and it is. Sure. But I think to remember that that that's another place where I think the new digital printing is going to be uh, an advantage, because whereas the offset print run books have that very limited time in which to catch on, POD books never go out of print or don't have to anyway, and so. If the author doesn't make it in that first six weeks, they can continue to work at building up a readership. And when the readership builds to the point, to the to critical mass, and there's a demand for the book, there it is. It's not been remaindered and sent off to, to be sold in the used bookstores. It is still available. It is still essentially brand new. And so they have that chance. They have time to build up market for their book. Great, uh, Elizabeth. I see we're reaching the, the later stages of a publishing life cycle. What can you tell us about uh, remainders, and, and how does that work? I imagine that's kind of mysterious to a lot of people. Well, remainders are, are, unsold, are simply unsold books. Once upon a time, they were taken and dumped, and mass market paperbacks still are, as far as I know. The bookseller who's with mass market paperbacks just has to remove the front cover and send that back to the publisher or the wholesalers for their, to get their refund. However, because of the incredible, incredibly high cost of printing books, many of the many publishers with trade paperbacks and hardcovers are now selling them to companies that purchase remaindered books, that is, books that have not sold and maybe out of print, who then sell, either sell them, as, I'm sure everyone has, has had a company swoop into town into an empty grocery store somewhere and set up and sell books for a buck. Those are remainder houses. Those are all books that they have bought as remainders and are now selling, they bought them for like 10 cents on the dollar and are now selling them to, uh, uh, to make the money to go buy more books. Used books, uh, of course, have become one of the hot market items these days and used bookstores are actually doing better than some of the, the uh, first-run bookstores. And some some bookstores are adding used book sections. So these are all places that remainders can go to. Again, I find the idea of remainders rather rather wasteful, especially the mass market paperbacks. And, and that is another reason why I think that the short run process has an its advantage ecologically because we aren't going to be wasting all of that paper. Gosh. Um Elizabeth, this has been so interesting, and you know we could talk for quite a bit longer here, but unfortunately we're going to have to just end this conversation. But I know that people can go to your website; it's uh, zamaya. dot com, z u m a y a. dot com, and what is the website? Pardon? It's Zamaya Publications. Zamaya Publications. Could you just tell me again that your website? It's www dot and so people can go to your website look at the guidelines check over what books you have printed uh, published in the past and uh, possibly give you a call 
Thank you very much for taking this time. It's been just really interesting, and uh, I know that I have learned a lot, even though I am a published author. There's just a few things that I didn't know, and so I'm really grateful that you brought them up. Thank you. Always happy to help. You've been listening to another edition of Authors Access Live, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Live on the InternetVoicesRadio.com network. You can hear us every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on the InternetVoicesRadio.com network. Next week's topic is Use Cash to Publish. And our special guest who will be joining us is Carolina Linares of UseCashToBuyIt.com. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. To hear a podcast of today's show or listen to podcasts of previous shows, please visit AuthorsAccess.com. If you have questions or comments about today's show, you can instant message us at info at AuthorsAccess.com and we'll get back to you as quick as we can. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson of Austin, Texas, signing off. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman from Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing all of you a good evening.